You know, I love seeing God at work in our church. That's why I'm a little wet. I love it. It's okay. Uh, if you'll overlook that, that'd be awesome. Uh, but I love seeing God at work, like Daniel's baptism today. Um, he's at work in our church. Uh, we, we say it like this. He's at work here in Tulsa and Owasso and in and, and Collinsville, everywhere God has us. He's at work. He's at work um, uh, in our nation. We say it's, he's at work there. He's at work everywhere, all over the world. And it's amazing to me that, uh, that God is so powerfully at work. And, you know, if you have in your worship guide, there's this little sheet right here that says World Missions Offering. And I want to tell you about that. This, uh, at our church, every time you give, 10% of our offerings go to missions, go to, go to work around the world. For example, uh, we give 6% of every offering to the cooperative program, which is the funding of missionaries all over the world. And, and man, everywhere we go, there are... If if you think about any place in the world, we, we likely have missionaries there sharing the gospel on the field, and they don't have to worry about support. 3% of our tithes, every, we, every tithe that's given goes to FBCO Direct Missions, where we send missionaries from our church. We, we go on mission trips and mobilize our congregation all over the world uh, and in all over the United States. And then 1% goes to the Baptist work, Tulsa Baptist Network, which is work in, in, the, in the Tulsa area, in the Tulsa County. Um, but the World Missions offering is an offering we take every year that, that goes directly to missions. You can read how that is dispersed. But it's phenomenal how God is at work. And I love seeing uh, just um, God using us and God leading us. And, and I love the invitation that we have by the Holy Spirit to be a part of his work in the world. Now, we're in this series called Eyewitnesses. We're essentially walking through Luke chapter 1. And uh, one of my favorite eyewitness accounts, I mean, John, we, we looked last week, Luke is the writer of these eyewitnesses, eyewitness accounts, these people that saw Jesus come. And uh, we're, we're moving into one of my favorite parts of the Christmas story, which is uh, John the Baptist and the prophecy of, of John the Baptist coming and in the promise of, of the forerunner of the Messiah. And it's in Luke chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, turn there. Luke chapter 1. And uh, this story is significant because I believe that, that John's calling is a calling that all of us share. And, and the Holy Spirit is at work today, and I, I can't, I'm excited to, to jump into it. So we're going to read together Luke 1, 5 through 10, but I want you to hold with me through this passage because we're going to kind of walk through um, all the way verse 25. So keep your Bibles open, and would you stand with me, and let's read our text this morning. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5, and it says this, um, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all, his, all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest, before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, 
Um, I love this story. Keep your Bibles open here because this is incredible. As you see, John's parents, John the Baptist's parents, were Zechariah and Elizabeth. And, and you see in this text that, that Zechariah was a priest, and he was serving his priestly duties. Now, Josephus is an historian, and he articulates that, that around this time, there were about 20,000 priests that were on duty. Malachi was the last prophet. The last time God had spoken would have been like 450 years. And Malachi said, here's what's going to happen. He, he said the, the priesthood is going to become corrupt. And that's exactly what unfolded. So, uh, you know, you got to realize that at this point, God had not sent a prophet for 400 plus years. So God's people were essentially in turmoil. Life was difficult. The Romans had come into power, and, and, and it was just kind of a difficult time. But the priests were on duty, and they would go into the temple, the inner part of the temple. And this was a, this was a big deal. Zechariah was one of these priests. And, and, and it's interesting as you, as you look at them and as you, you see their, their life, verse 6 gives us insight into them. Look, look at verse 6. It says, They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. So we know from the text here that they were righteous. They were walking with the Lord. They, they, um, Zechariah was not one of these priests who was just going through the motions. Uh, he, he actually turned his face to the Lord. And that makes sense because at this point, there were many signs pointing to the fact that the Messiah was coming. People were looking for them. The wise men were looking for them. You know, they were following the stars. They, they, they were, they, there were people, remember when Jesus was born uh, and he, they was, took him to the temple, there were people there waiting for the Messiah. They were expecting him. I think Zach, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were these righteous ones. The text tells us this. Another, another thing, look at verse 7. It says, but they have no, no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both advanced in years. So we know that they were righteous. They were walking with the Lord. They believed the Lord. They were also unable to have children. Now, what's interesting about this is that, um, you know, as, as Zechariah is doing his service, he was called out. He was, his lot was drawn. Now, it's, there's so many things working here that are interesting. You see the sovereignty of God at work and the power of God at work because it happened to be Zechariah's duty. And what's interesting about these priestly duties is that if you went into the altar of incense as a priest, you could never do that again. You got to go in one time, and that's it. I thought about that as a preacher, as a pastor. If, if I only got to preach one sermon, if I was drawn, okay, this is your own one shot. You know, basically, Zachariah's lot was drawn, and this was one of the biggest honors that you could do as a priest. You get to go into the inner part of the temple. They would tie a rope around you, because if you died... No one's coming in after you. They're going to drag you out, okay? And because um, this is like the Holy of Holies, the inner part of the temple where the incense and the worship of God is coming up and, and people were offering forgiveness and, or the priest was offering forgiveness on behalf of the people. Zechariah got to go. And he was like, oh my goodness, I get to go in to the inner part of the temple. He had known what to expect. I mean, people had gone through the motions. It's not like this was 
a brand new experience. They, they knew the, the, the experience. He just, this was his first time to go. And look at what the Bible says. He walks in to the temple, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled. We'll unpack that here in a minute. But when he saw him, and, and fear fell upon him, and the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Now let's stop here for a second, because there's something I think very important for us to notice here. We know that Zechariah was righteous, Elizabeth was righteous, that they were without children. They've been praying for a child their whole lives. But they were old. They were advanced in years, the Bible says. So, so God had not answered the prayer like they thought. Now, how many times in our lives has, have, has God not answered a prayer for us that we thought he was going to answer or that we hoped he would answer? I mean, let's think about prayer for a minute. That that when we pray, you know, there are sometimes you pray and God says yes. I mean, God will just answer that prayer. I've, I've experienced that in my life, that we've prayed for something and God said yes. There have been times that I've prayed and God said no. God said, that's not good for you. Not going to answer that prayer. You're, you're not going to get that. And I'm not going to answer it like you thought. There are times when we pray and God says, wait. Now, What's interesting about Elizabeth and Zechariah, they've prayed for a long time for a child, and God didn't answer that prayer. Now, what's interesting about this is, let's understand prayer for a second, that, that, that Psalm 37 is a really cool passage, a cool psalm. There's all, a, a lot of cool things in Psalm 37, but verse 4 and 5, turn over with me real quick, because it's not on the screen, I don't think, but... Psalm 37, 4 and 5 says this, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will do this. Delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. Now, Elizabeth and Zechariah had prayed for a child for a long time, but God didn't answer it. I mean, how many times have you been tempted and I've been tempted when God did not answer a prayer like I thought or like you thought, that we have the attitude, God, you're not real. You don't even hear me. God, you're, you, don't, you don't answer the prayer like I want. What's interesting about, about Zechariah and Elizabeth is God was leading them the whole time. God, God was actually the one that put the desire for a child on her heart. Now think about this. The scripture says, trust in me, I'll give you the desires of your heart. You may be praying for something right now, and you're like, Lord, I pray for this, but God is saying, wait. And, and you know what happens? What I found with prayer, that when I, when I am on my knees praying to the Lord, then God will either eventually answer that prayer or he'll change my heart. Have you experienced that? I mean, there are times that, that I've been praying for something and it's not what I need. It's not, and God is saying no. So when you're praying correctly, God may, God will change your heart. But let me tell you something. God will always answer prayer. Point number one today is this. God hears and answers prayer at just the right time. In your life, in my life, God will answer prayer at just the right time. 
You know, what's interesting about Elizabeth and Zachariah, and I think this is really intriguing to me about their lives, is, is they both honored the Lord even, if, even when it appeared their prayer would not be answered like they wanted. And, and are we going to be that way? I think we should. I think we should honor the Lord whether God answers a prayer like we want or not. Because let's face it, God knows more than we do. God sees clearer than we do. And if we're on our knees, if you're on your knees praying for something right now, and it is on your heart, understand this, God may be the one putting it there. So trust him. Wait for him. Waiting is hard. Because there have been many times in my life where God didn't answer a prayer like I thought he was going to answer. And, and God's doing this in, in, in Elizabeth and Zechariah's life. You know what's interesting about Old Testament thought? These, because the New Testament hadn't been written yet. I mean, Luke is writing this, but he's looking backwards. At this time, when this is unfolding, you know, they're living by the law. That's why the temple and the and the and the sacrifices and and you know what what, what people thought at this time. And and there was as, there was aspects of this that was absolutely true. But Deuteronomy chapter twenty eight says this. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, your God, or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Verse 18 says, Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. So basically, it's right here, it says, If you don't follow the Lord, your womb will be closed. Now, Zechariah and Elizabeth could have very easily said, well, God, you're cursing me, so I'm not going to follow you. But they didn't act like that. They were like, God, we're going to follow you whether or not you open this womb or not. And I'll tell you, this is the way we need to live. Lord, we'll follow you no matter what comes. We'll trust you no matter what challenges we have to face. And that's the, that's, you just unfolded right here. Now, now, but, but you see God hearing and answering the prayer all the time because Elizabeth's desire in her heart for a child was God's amazing plan the entire time. And I love that about this story. God was giving her the desire of her heart. God never changed that desire, though in her mind, she, in, in, in Zechariah's mind, they said, we're old. We're not going to see this answered. And it's, it's like J.I. Packer says this, and I love this quote, we may debate the sovereignty of God on our feet, but on our knees we all agree. You know, God is sovereign, meaning God's in control. God knows the plan. He has the plan in his hands. So no matter what you're facing today, I want you to see that God's plan is unfolding. And God is faithful. And, and look, at look, it goes on. And, and, and so Zechariah goes into the temple. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Anytime you see the right hand, the, the right side, it's, a, it's an idea of power, of authority. And, uh, and Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. Look at this. The angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Now what's interesting here is... is a lot of times we see angels like this. I stole this off one of our trees, and, um, and I'll put it back. But, 
but this is what we think of when we see, think of angels. And we think, oh, how cute. You know, Zachariah did not walk into the temple and go, oh, it's so cute. Oh, it's so, it's so pretty. Give me, give me a hug. No. I mean, that's what we'd think if that showed up, right? I don't think angels look like this. I think they look like this. You know, that's what I think an angel is going to look like. Because every time in Scripture, what do they say when an angel shows up? Hey, relax, man. You know, Zechariah's like, I think I need to go change some drawers here. But I, I, I mean, this is a bad deal. I mean, this is a scary thing. And the angel says, don't be afraid. And then look at this message. Look at what the angel said to him. Uh, he, said, he said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. And you will call his name John. I mean, this... Can you imagine this unfolding in Zechariah's mind? I just came in for the incense. I thought this was going to be in and out and we're done. And I've filled out, I've gone through the motions here. But all of a sudden he goes in there and, and man, an angel's there. And he's like, oh my goodness. And look what he says. And you will have joy and gladness. And many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord. He says, John, he says, Zechariah, he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of their fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Now, can you imagine what Zechariah felt like? What? Are you kidding me? You mean I am going to be raising the, the boy that, that the prophets had talked about, that there's going to be a forerunner of the Messiah that Micah had talked about, that this forerunner is going to come, and oh my goodness, he's my son? How would you like that responsibility of raising that kid? You're like, man, I'm going to mess my kid up, man. I mean, I think that all the time as a pastor, how so much of my parenting is going to come out in therapy someday, you know, with my children. But can you imagine Zachariah getting this message from God that you're raising the forerunner of the Messiah? Now, now Zachariah, you got some work to do. You got to ju- you you got to keep him from strong strong drink. You got to it's almost like a Nazarite vow if you know that vow in the Old Testament. Now, this child has got a responsibility, and Zechariah and Elizabeth are going to raise him. You know what this shows us, point number two? Is that God has invited us to join him in the work of salvation. I mean, do you realize that? This is this connection that we have to John's calling that, that I mean, Zechariah and Elizabeth had some important work to do. Yes, God was at work. God is sovereign, and God's plan is unfolding. But Zechariah had some work to do. And this is important to understand. You see in this passage how work and prayer, they're going hand in hand here. That, that yes, God is sovereign and we pray and we, we look to the Lord and we ask the Lord for wisdom, but then he calls us to work, right? It's, it's, Pascal is a French philosopher that lived a long time ago, and he said this. He said, God instituted prayer in order to allow his creatures the dignity of causality. And here's what, I, here's what he meant by this, that, that, that he gave us small creatures. I mean, have you ever felt small? 
Have you ever looked up in the sky and said, God, how big you are, and yet you know my name. Yet you know who I am. You're in, you care about my life. But God, Pascal said that God has given his creatures the dignity of causality, meaning that we can contribute to the course of events. Now, here, here's the point. C.S. Lewis says it better than I will. Uh, and he wrote in God in the Dock. So I'm just going to read you what he said. He says, what we do when we weed a field is not quite different from what we do when we pray for a good harvest. But there's an important difference all the same. You cannot be sure of a good harvest whatever you do to a field. But you can be sure if you pull up one weed, that one weed will no longer be there. So we see, I think C.S. Lewis is describing this this reality that we are a part of God's work, that our work matters. There are some people that say, oh, well, they they misunderstand the sovereignty of God because they say, well, God's powerful. He's going to do whatever he's going to do. He doesn't need me. But God calls us to be a part of his plan, especially in the work of salvation. Now, we, we see this all the time. We, and this is why I pray that we are a church that is evangelistic, that we are a church that is bold with the gospel, and that we don't forget that we are called to spread the good news of Christ. You and I are called to spread this news. Now, salvation is in God's hands, not ours. But you and I are called to speak up. It's like 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And this is why the beautiful picture of Daniel's baptism this week. I mean, he came to my office. Leon was like, Chris, we got to talk. Man, I've got a burden for Daniel. Will you make some time? Yeah, come on, come by. And, and, and he comes by, and, and, and the gospel is powerful. Sometimes we forget that. We think, oh, I don't know what to say. I'm not going to share. They're going to just, like, laugh at me or whatever. No, no, there is power in the gospel. That God is at work in the gospel, in the message of Christ. That's the gospel. The, fact that, the gospel is the fact that Jesus came, and he, and he rescued us from our sin. Jesus went to the cross for us and took our place. He died on the cross as a substitute for us. Then he rose from the dead and conquered the grave, giving us victory over death and sin. That's the gospel. And see, when, you know, here's, here's the reality. When Leon and I, we were called to share the gospel with Daniel this week. And he got saved. And he got baptized today. And I got all wet. And I love it. You know what? That's awesome. You know, my brother right now, my older brother, is nine years older than me. And I love my brother. He right Today, right, probably right now, he is preaching at Henderson Hills Baptist Church, where he's the missions pastor. And it's in Edmond. And, uh, and you know, there, there was a, a young lady that came into his life. I wanted to show her, her, her video today, but it, but it would be unsafe to do that because our services are online. And, um, but this, this young girl, she's been coming to our family gatherings for years now. And uh, her name is Fatima, and she's from Morocco. And, um, and she came over Thanksgiving. 
And my brother said, you know, we knew about this. We, were, we were just got to see her baptism video because Fatima came to know Christ. And, and our, I mean, we were all fired up. I wish I could have gone to the baptism service for her, but I was preaching that day. And, but I got, the, I got to see it, and we were saying, that's awesome. We were, we were rejoicing with her because she got saved. And you know what she's going to do? She's going to go back to Morocco. She was Muslim. And, and she's going to go back to Morocco where I am grateful we're given to missions because we have missionaries in Morocco that are there to help the church, help, help her when she goes home. And, and you know, it, it would be unsafe for me to show the video because she would face some serious consequences in Morocco from the Muslim world, from her family. Now she's going to tell them, but we got to, you know, there's a strategy here. But I love it that, that look, people are, are, need to be saved. And God has invited us to this ministry of reconciliation. This is why we've got to speak up and we've got to be passionate about the gospel. And, and man, there's power in the gospel. I don't want us to doubt that or forget that. We have a responsibility with this. I mean, Zachariah and Elizabeth, they had some work to do. So do we. I pray we don't forget that. Look back at verse 18. It says, and Zechariah said to the angel. So, I mean, he's terrified. He's, he's like processing this. And he says to the angel, uh, how shall I know this? For I am old, I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. Now, this wasn't like, well, I'm Gabriel. And I stand before God. I mean, he was like, listen, punk, sit down. I'm, I'm, you know who I am? You talking to me? You know, that kind of thing. It's like, Gabriel, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, big boy. Now, I, I think that when we go to heaven and we see Jesus, we're, I think we're going to be like, whoa, oh, you're God. Then we're going to discover, wait, we are righteous. We can stand in the presence of God. But Gabriel's like, let me tell you something, buddy. I stand in the presence of God, and I've come to you to give you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Now, you know what's interesting about this is Zechariah was just kind of going through the motions. You know, he was kind of like, oh, I got to go do this. I know my duties. I'm going to go in and go through the motions. You know, Joe's saying something today that, that I don't, I don't want us to go through the motions. When he said, Lord, we, we, may we receive you. Lord, may we receive you. Sometimes we come to church and we, we don't expect God to, get in our, to transform us, to speak to us. And, and we should. Every time we walk in the door, I'll tell you, as a pastor, I've repented of that, of, of Lord, I don't want to just um, not expect you to move. I expect God to move every week. And I, that's what I ask the Lord. Lord, move every week. And I pray that I'm, for, for the rest of my life and for the rest of my ministry, I am a pastor that, that doesn't doubt the promises and the power of God and the gospel. And, and, I, and I hope you pray that for me. That, 
I pray that we're a people that expect the gospel to transform lives. And see, uh, Zechariah was rebuked by this. Like, hey, look, I am the one that stands in the presence of God, buddy. And then he goes on, he says, and the people were waiting for Zechariah. They were wondering at his delay in the temple because, hey, this wasn't expected. What's going on in there? And what's happening in there? And, and, and man, it's just something's going on. And, 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 and it says, and when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. So this is where charades was invented, okay? He was like, uh, he can't speak, can't make a sound. Uh, Verse 62 in chapter one of Luke indicates that possibly he couldn't even hear. There's some debate on that. But but he was like, I don't know what to do. He can't speak. And, And what's amazing is he says, and when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. And after these, you can imagine going home, honey, how's your, how's your time? Yeah, how's your time at the temple? You know, I don't know what he's, you know, charades. And, and he couldn't communicate. I mean, how many of you are like, that's like my, my husband's every trip. How was it? Fine. You know, uh, you know, but I guess they worked out the communication problem because she conceived, right? So they worked it out. That's good. It's a good marriage lesson right there. Um, but she conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. She was like, Oh my goodness, God has answered our prayer. God hurt us, and I'm going to have a child. Even though I'm old, and even though I didn't think this was going to happen, you know what we see here, point number three is so cool, and I'm so grateful for this, is that God keeps his promises even when we doubt. Even when we doubt him, God keeps his word. And I'm so grateful because there have been so many times I've doubted God, even after I've prayed and, and God has answered and I've, uh, I, I've, I've still gone through times where I'm like, Lord, are you going to see us through? Are you going to help us? Yeah, he, he's, he's God. We, we serve the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords, who keeps everything he said. He will do everything he said he'll do. Everything he'll say, he said he'll do. He'll keep it. And I want us to see that. And I'm grateful that even though we doubt God keeps his word. Now, you know what I want to, I want us to grow to be the kind of church where, where, where we can say, hey, we're a group of people that are not surprised when God keeps his word. Don't be surprised when God keeps his word to you. Don't be surprised when God answers prayer in his time. Don't be surprised when, when God, maybe it's not what you expected, but when God moves in your life and God keeps his promises. You know, there, there have been many times in my life that God has, God's plan has been different from mine. And in those moments where it didn't work out like I expected, I'm still learning to trust what he's doing. 
And, and, and so you may be here today and you're, you're doubting. God, can I tell you, it's, it's okay. Zechariah was one of those two. But you know what he learned? No, no, God, you're faithful. God, you keep his word. And can I just tell you that God's going to be faithful to you? Even if it doesn't turn out like you thought, even if, if you're in a moment where God's going to answer that prayer, yes, or God's going to change your heart and, and you won't be praying for that anymore, or maybe that prayer is going to be, just, just wait. My timing is perfect. Because the Messiah coming, his timing was perfect. Ridiculously perfect. And what's, what's interesting, when I think about the first coming of Christ, it was a trustworthy promise. But here's something I want you to see. The first and second coming of Christ remain trustworthy promises. Look, there's going to be a day that Jesus is going to return. You know, you know the Bible describes it like this, that, that two people will be in a field. One will be taken, the other left. Now, I don't know if we'll be the ones that see that. It sure seems that we are living in the last days. And it's why I love Matthew 24. Matthew 24, he writes, he records this moment that Jesus said, Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And, and so, look, Zechariah in this moment was walking with the Lord. He, he, he honored the Lord. But he, he doubted, but then God saw him through. He, he got ready. He got home and said, Elizabeth, we got to get ready for this because the Messiah is coming. Can, can I challenge us today? Are, are, we, are we ready? I mean, if Jesus came back today, would you be ready? I mean, I mean can, I, can I just say to you, if you're here today without Christ in your life, if you've not yet trusted in him, not done what Daniel has done, and come to that moment where you say, Lord, I need you as Lord and Savior of my life, would you wash my sins away? That's never happened to you. Oh, come to Jesus today, today. You, you do not want the second coming of Christ to come and you not be ready. Can I just stand in front of you and say, come to Jesus? Not out of fear. Though, though, to be honest, if you're living your life apart from Christ, you ought to be scared. You ought to be afraid that, because none of us are guaranteed tomorrow. 
You don't know when you're going to draw your last breath. It may not be the return of Christ that, that, that calls you to, causes you to walk through that door called death. It may be a truck that causes you to walk through that door called death. I don't know. The reality is death comes in different ways at different times for all of us. But I want you to be ready. I want you to realize that God keeps his promises. And, and he's calling us to, to come to him, to walk with him. Because, see, the first coming of Christ, that was a trustworthy promise, but so is the second coming. And it's my prayer that for all of us in this room, that we're ready. That, that, that if Jesus returns today, that he finds us right in the middle of his will, saying, God, we are looking to you. We, we are surrendered to you. We are honoring you in everything in our lives. Lord, uh, we're, we're those that are faithful to you. How has God spoken to you today? Can I tell you that he's real? The story of Christmas is not like Cinderella or Pinocchio. It was history. It was, it was a his, it, the, the, the life, the birth, life, death, the resurrection of Christ. It's historically verifiable. And its message is reliable for you for me. Come to Jesus. We're going to have an invitation and our altars are going to be open and maybe you've just been praying for something and you need to come and just bring that back to the Lord and say, Lord, I'll wait as long as you, I trust you. Maybe you need to come to Jesus today. I'll come to Jesus today. Experience eternal life.